0: Episode 8 of Bookends, the podcast for writers and book lovers, and this may be the most delicious episode yet. My guest today is cook and food writer Pippa Kendrick, author of The Intolerant Gourmet, one of The Times' top 40 cookbooks of the year for 2012. The Intolerant Gourmet is a gorgeously written and sumptuously photographed celebration of seasonal, allergy-friendly cooking, but only its name actually gives that away. Pippa is passionate about creating recipes for everyone to enjoy, with very little hint that there is anything missing. And not only does her work make allergy-friendly cooking more accessible, but also shows that it can be just as indulgent. It's all about showing people what they can have as opposed to what they can't and inspire those with allergies to live their lives to the full and not feel that they have to have an apple while everyone else is having apple pie. Pippa spoke to me at the end of last year about her food writing career and the process of taking the intolerant gourmet from a mere book proposal through to production and finally to publication. I think it's a must listen for every aspiring food writer out there, but I also think what she has to say applies to the process of writing any kind of book. I certainly took a lot away from our conversation and I hope you will too. Hi Pippa, welcome and thank you very much for joining me on Bookends today.
1: Hi, I'm really happy to be here, thank you.
0: So, can you tell us a little bit about the story behind The Intolerant Gourmet? How did you come to be living wheat, dairy, egg, yeast? Is that, is that all of them? Have I left and
1: something soy. Up? Stout soy, and soy as well. <laughs> Yeah, and as well. Uh, well, my story is that I started The Intolerant Gourmet about four or five years ago. Um, it began as a blog and then it grew into a book and various other things. But I've been eating in this way for the last 10 years, really. My history is that I had a severe dairy intolerance when I was little. There was lots of problems um, which went undiagnosed for years and years. um, And it varied from kind of tummy bugs to skin to sleep, all sorts of things. Um, And then when I was at university, I went to university And I was due to spend a year uh, going to America. And as part of my visa, I needed a health check. And when I had the health check, they had a look at all these ongoing problems I've been having and asked if they could um, have a look at me and give me an ultrasound. And I had a a problem with calcium stones, uh, which is linked to dairy intolerances over a long period of time. I had those removed and unfortunately, the operations went wrong and I ended up with a damaged tummy, a damaged digestive system. It was all a bit dramatic and all a bit traumatic um, but the upshot was that I no longer could eat dairy but I could also no longer eat wheat and eggs and soy and yeast. Um, That's kind of a repercussion of all the operations. So, I felt quite miserable as you can imagine. As you would, yeah. (laughs) As you do. Um, But one of the things I'd always been incredibly passionate about was cooking and food writing. I felt really strongly about it. I loved it. I loved cooking for friends and family. And it was a really big deal to me. And when I started cooking again, but free from all these things, there was very little out there. This is 10 years ago. And there was very little out there that had any sort of inspiring content. There were cookbooks that were dairy and wheat free but they were very earnest and they were quite heavy duty and they didn't encompass any of the kind of passion and and excitement that I felt for food and for cooking. And after a year or so I've just been experimenting with my own recipes ongoingly and, and I kind of thought, you know, I really want to do this. This is something I want to do. Like, I'm feeding all these people. Nobody seems to notice that there's no wheat in there or there's no dairy, there's no eggs. And and actually, this is a great thing. I'm sure there are lots of other people out there with food intolerances or allergies similar to mine. I know my story is quite extreme, but there's lots of people who come to it for, for lots of different reasons. And I really thought, you know, I'd like to pull this all together. I'd like to help i would love to do something that I feel passionately about and and I love to cook and that's and that's where I went from there,
0: Obviously, it was a very extreme experience. It sounds like it was also rather serendipitous as well, it kind of led you down a career path you might not have gone down otherwise.
1: yeah, I completely agree I absolutely I'm quite a firm believer actually in that kind of linking and serendipity, and I think. It taught me an awful lot about I'd always been it took all the things I was had always been interested in and pulled them all together. And I wouldn't be doing this job if those things hadn't have happened to me. So um, I'm quite grateful in a way, because it means that I get to do something I feel incredibly passionate about.
0: Did you always want to be a writer?
1: Um, I'd always been keen, yeah, I wanted to, originally, I wanted to work, I wanted to be an editor of a women's glossy magazine, that was my main, (laughs) that was my main aim when I was about 15, and certainly when I went to university, I did English literature and creative writing, that was my degree, so I was really passionate about writing, but I didn't really know what form that was going to take, and quite honestly, I didn't know that you could be a food writer, I hadn't really you know, I'd never really thought about that, and, and I hadn't seen a way in, I I may have come to it naturally, just because those were two big passions of mine, writing and food, but I certainly didn't really know how you became a cookery writer, you know, that was about writing recipes, and encompassing kind of aesthetics, and styling, all, I didn't really know that you could do that, and um I wanted to be a writer in some form, I just didn't know in what way.
0: So you started your blog and that was about your cooking and recipes for allergy-friendly eating. Yeah. And so did your cookbook, your cookbook was born out of that?
1: Well, actually, it, you know, it's getting more and more common that that's the way it works, that that you're, you start a blog and your book comes from that. But actually, it was kind of the other way around for me I knew I wanted to write a cookbook that's what I knew I I knew I could visualize it I knew exactly what I wanted to create I wanted I knew how it would look how it would feel the tone the content I knew everything but I didn't really know how you went about you know putting it all together together. Mm. yeah and I felt that I lacked discipline writing discipline that's even though I'd always done it and I'd always been interested in it I didn't kind of have a structure and I felt like the best way of me getting that was to consistently write in about food in a way that in a tone that I wanted to see in my book or hear in my book and so I started the blog because I had all these recipes that I was experimenting with and I thought this is great I if I do something once a week I can I have that kind of control and freedom at the same time because I'm practicing but you see it doesn't really matter who reads this blog it doesn't matter if one person or you know a thousand people read it I still get to control the content and that felt really freeing so I thought well this is a a good way of kind of seeing if I can do it if nothing else and if, if people like it so that's that's really why I started the book had kind of half been written at that point although I must say that writing the blog did definitely shape the book
0: and what was the response initially on on the blog from from a readership
1: yeah it was it was really great actually it was really it went from my mum as, as
0: we all start with that yeah
1: exactly. <laughs> and some friends and then it kind of it started expanding i was really lucky that i got picked up quite quickly by sainsbury's who asked me uh, liked what i was doing had a read and um, they have quite an invested interest in free from products because they have like the biggest range really of their own brand. Um, so they asked me to come and uh, come to London to their headquarters and to do some taste testing and reviewing and things like that. So that was a that was a good way of kind of getting the Intolerant Gourmet name out there at the beginning and it also really worked in my favor later when I was trying to get a book deal or in fact get an agent that I had experience with these different people and I could show that there was a market for it and people were interested Hmm. Um, and that so I did bits of work like that but I really I kind of really stuck to my guns I tried very hard not to make it I'm not a reviewer and I'm not about PR, I wanted to write just recipes, I wanted it to be all about the food and just all about the enjoyment of that so the content very much stayed kind of true to what I knew and what I felt passionately about Mm -hmm. Um, and I just got great responses from people just saying that they tried the recipes, that they liked them or that they had food intolerances too or you know or that you know, all sorts of things, but Hmm. everything was positive.
0: So then what was the next step in your road to publication? You found an agent or did a publisher approach you because of the blog?
1: No, I found an agent. I decided that I wanted to write the entire book or near enough the entire book before I went for an agent even because I know that, A, I thought it would work in my favour that if I already had it there there's less for them to do. (laughs) Um, And so that makes you more appealing. But also, if I'd already written it, then they couldn't change so much of it, right? Because you can't, they can't say, oh, we really like this idea. But what we want you to do is this. Instead, they just say, oh, look, there there it is in its entirety. Great, let's take it, you know. So I'd done that. And the next step, the really big next step, which was kind of as hard as As writing the book because writing the book proposal that was like a a massive deal for me
0: yes writing a synopsis for a piece of fiction has certainly that was harder for me than writing the book itself yeah because I mean you know what your book's about and you know what the message is but do you think you can try and distill that into a couple of sentences absolutely I found it so hard
1: yeah it's uh, that's exactly how I felt and also I'm not naturally a business person I'm not natu- naturally a marketing that. person and mm-hmm. it, it a book proposal is a business proposal mm-hmm. so you got kind of one of the, I had a really good bit of advice quite early on which was that write the book proposal as you feel it right write it passionately write about what you know how what your books like and how much you love it and all these great things and then go through and take any form of emotion out of it whatsoever like it can't be emotional Mm. you set a tone by your writing so they have to still be able to hear your voice in a book proposal but you know publishing is a business and they're not they're not going to take you on unless they think that there's a market for you and unless they think that there's potential and if you don't know your own potential then they can't really see it i mean there are exceptions but i think cuz it's so competitive you have to do yourself a favor and and make it make yourself as marketable as possible in and you only have one chance with a book proposal they're not going to read it twice and if they get a quarter of the way through and still don't know what the book's about and still don't know what you're about and you know, then they give up because they have thousands. So I found it really difficult in that sense, making it purely business and taking out kind of my heart, but still showing how passionate I was about what I was doing.
0: It's harder than it sounds, isn't it? Yeah,
1: definitely, definitely. Mm. Yeah, you can go directly to a publisher, but again, you have a much better chance if you go through an agent, as you know, because they have contacts and they have in's and that. So I had a list of agents that I thought sounded great. I had another really good bit of advice early on as well which was you have to you have to love your agent. You have to really like your agent and they have to really like you. Purely because they're selling you and they're pitching for you and if they don't really like you they won't make as much of an effort. Yes. yes and it's you that too. have to be on the same wavelength. You have to they want to help you and, you know, you want to help yourself, but you both want to be doing the same sort of things. So I wrote a list of agents that I thought were kind of interested in the field uh, in cookery, writing and represented people already and people that I really liked and admired and whose style it was. And I thought, well, I'll just, I'll work through it, you know, I'll go, I'll aim high and then I'll, I'll see where I get. And I was really, really lucky in that the first agent I approached who was my favourite, took me on, signed me. Um and that was a that was a major thing for me.
0: That must have been a great day. Yeah getting accepted. <laughs> yeah.
1: It was. It was um yeah, it was fantastic. I just had the most amazing meeting and I'd obviously sent her my proposal beforehand and they'd read through and Said, yeah, come in and see us. And I didn't. I really didn't know what to expect. And I had in my head, you know, you've you've got to really like each other and and thing. And but by the time I'd got there, frankly, if she'd been the meanest woman on earth, I probably would have <laughs> signed with her because <laughs> I, you know, wanted to. But it turned out uh, Rosemary was is just gorgeous, really, really nice and brilliant and talented. And I I felt you know really supported from the second I went in there so it was a it was a great day it was a great day for me so then you got accepted by a publisher yeah then we pitched to publishers and I got signed um I got signed by a publisher which was fantastic um I very happily got a two book deal with my publishers and um, because I'd already written the book because the book was there we kind of started immediately and and went in and um, it went into to be edited and and we worked on some ideas and mood boards it was it was just great it was a whirlwind six months from signing with my agent to then signing with my publishers and then it's going into production so it was a really exciting time.
0: Well the production process of a cookbook must be very, very interesting because then this is where
1: it all really comes to life. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, it's a really fascinating process, actually. And as I said earlier, you know, when you don't know, you don't really know what being a cookery writer or a food writer entails and you, you don't know how to get there. And once you're there, it's amazing how different people who work in that world, how they've got to that point and all the different roles that there are because it's not just you have the food writer but production involves obviously your editor and then a sub-editor but you have a cookery editor as well which are there purely to check the recipe amounts and ingredients and very little details and then you have another editor who's who's looking at your writing and then you have a um a food stylist you have a prop stylist and you have a photographer it's really it's amazing and a and a great a great time takes a year to publish a cookbook that's the general rule if you want to get it all done in a relaxed time frame and you tend if it's a photo-led book which mine is so that by photo-led I mean my book has 125 recipes in and 80 of them have photographs so that's quite a high photographic content then you tend to have about a three-week shoot where you're you're cooking and photographing for, for the book so it's great it's a it's a really great time Maybe, can you
0: tell us about a a typical day on a cookery book shoot? Were were there any funny moments or any particular memories that stand out for you? I've only
1: done one, so my experience is slightly limited. Uh, We had an amazing time. Uh, You tend to shoot in the studio of whichever photography you're using, but what... You do quite often is for interval shots and for kind of press shots. you often hire a house or a kitchen, you know a beautiful house or kitchen that kind of works with your style and um, and you shoot there for a couple of days of that week. And we managed to do our shoot in uh, the middle of the London riots last summer and ended up in Brixton in a house. Kind of surrounded by police cars it was brilliant <laughs> it was like the most bizarre day i've ever had very memorable yeah so we were all cooking you know everyone's cooking there's cameras and we're shooting the sirens going off and with i'm standing in the garden with a big bowl of apples trying to look relaxed As you get, and smoke is like <laughs> <going>. <laughs> yeah it was really ridiculous and we were meant to shoot until seven at night and at three in the afternoon nothing had died down it was all kind of going for it and at three in the afternoon we decided we probably just ought to go home <laughs> and that was it but um it was so it was a it was a mad experience yeah it was great so um what is your favorite recipe
0: from the intolerant gourmet
1: oh wow i I've, I've been asked this quite a lot actually and i'm not entirely sure uh i love them i love them for different reasons. And I love them, dependent on the season, which is why actually the books split into seasons. Because um, I I feel really strong. You eat, you know, you eat very differently um, depending on you know the weather and 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 your mood. And I try and reflect that in my cooking. I'd say maybe one of the things that represents what I'm trying to do, one of the recipes that represents what I'm trying to do, is my Bakewell tart, um, purely because. It's very indulgent. It's lovely, <laughs> um, and it's just like the real thing. And that that was a that's a really important part of what I'm doing is that I want to be able to create food for everybody to eat, and um, that doesn't let on that there's anything missing. So you know, I want to be able to sit down and feed ten people, and maybe only one of them have a. a have food intolerances or an allergy but everybody's eating the same thing it's all communal it's shared nobody feels isolated and nobody knows that there isn't any wheat or dairy or eggs in so um the bakewell tart for me kind of represents that because it uses its pastry it's that light frangipan sponge and you know it makes a difference it's good to know that people can't tell the difference really that i think that's what i mean
0: it, it sounds like the the response to the book has been incredibly positive, and a lot of people have come forward and told you how much it's helped them. And you know, because maintaining a degree of normality, I suppose, is is very important if you're given a diagnosis such as a food allergy or intolerance, because I, I think a lot of people think of it as a as a very negative
1: thing. That's exactly it. People feel really quite miserable at the thought of it and you know often you get people who say oh my god but I couldn't live without cheese how does how does that even happen you know and for some people it's just it's not a choice you can't it's either that you're you eat in a slightly restricted manner and you feel well or you don't and you're very ill so you know there's a there isn't a lot of argument um, I think often people feel very isolated I know I certainly hear from people that especially people with children with food intolerances and allergies who feel very sad that their child is going to parties or or simply just going to school and not being able to eat anything in the same way that everybody else is and i wanted to bring a bit of normality back to cooking but also what i really wanted to do was show how good it can be and how sumptuous it can be and that it is it can be just as indulgent and just as fabulous and by that i don't mean unhealthy In the same way that I don't mean that the intolerant gourmet is sort of diet food. It's it's not that. It's just good food made out of simple ingredients that doesn't contain any of those allergens. And I think it's really important for people to have a bit of pleasure with their diagnosis, you know. Well, it's
0: important that, you know, because life still has to be lived. And so why not enjoy yourself and
1: well, exactly. And also, you know, as you said, life has to be lived and eating is a big part of that, obviously. Well, it is for me. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. And I think, you know, if you if you feel like, oh, I can never eat that again, then it, it, it is a bit miserable and also a bit earnest in some ways to say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to restrict myself from now on. Those are words I don't I don't really like the kind of restricted thing. I think you don't have to feel like that. I was quite lucky I was um, brought up... My mum was macrobiotic and vegetarian when I was younger and we ate a lot of exciting kind of non-traditional food. And so I know that, you know, just because it's not the norm doesn't mean that it's not fantastic. And I think I've kind of really taken that with me into my cooking.
0: Well, it's very interesting because I, I think that if you didn't have the word intolerant in your cookbook title at all and it was just, uh, I don't know, cooking through the seasons or something, Yeah. you possibly wouldn't immediately pick up that it was all wheat-free, dairy-free, yeah. egg-free. Because, I mean, as you say, everything you've written, it has a beautiful, sumptuous quality about it. I mean, it's a beautiful book. So anyone who loves cooks cookbooks and leafing through them like you would a novel... Like I do, will we'll be in heaven. But it's—it's mm-hmm. it's like all of the recipes are just—it's—it doesn't feel like restrictive eating to me at all. And and I've made quite a few of the recipes, and yeah, like like, like you say, it's um, it's it's incredibly normal, all all of the food that you've made, but exciting normal. Yeah, I know that's
1: good. If that that's makes incredible. sense. Well, that's exactly what I want to hear. That's exactly what I wanted to do.
0: Do Do you think that there's a higher incidence of intolerances these days? or, Or have they always been around and people have just sort of had to muddle through?
1: No, I definitely... I personally think there's a massive increase in intolerances. I mean... I think the market reflects that as well actually Um, you wouldn't get big businesses investing like supermarkets investing in their own ranges if they didn't think there was a massive market and it's I know that for some people they see it as a fad or they see it as fussy eating but that aside it's a proven fact you can't talk to anybody without somebody either having a food intolerance or allergy themselves or knowing somebody else who does you know whether whether it's something as extreme as a um, a dairy allergy or perhaps it's celiac disease which is somewhere in between an intolerance and allergy it's a disease obviously um it's an immune response but just a delayed one so like an intolerance or somebody who just says that they feel very unwell when they eat wheat you know there's it's there and i i have my theories i mean i'm not interested in no that's not true i'm interested in the side of diagnosis but i don't represent it in any way i couldn't purport to have any kind of medical knowledge and i wouldn't advise anyone in that sense i couldn't diagnose anybody My is just the cookery but i do have my theories about this and i really think that the overproduction of wheat especially and chemicals in our food and um just processed food in general hasn't done us any favors over the last 20 years and that's why we are what we eat and when we're younger you know what we ingest have make plays a massive role in how our bodies work later in life and um people of our parents generation say they kind of ate war diets where you know people there was you know it was quite basic food and very little processed food and we've been brought up in a time where processed food was really popular and and new and exciting to people so and now we we eat in a way where that we've never done before where there is so much abundance and so much choice and yet actually it's so unvaried it's i think it's ridiculous if you talk to the average person they eat week three times a day and and in differing forms and don't think that they're doing it you know cereal for breakfast a sandwich for lunch pasta for supper but we weren't really designed to eat the same things again and again and again and I also think that you know if the wheat is contaminated or overprocessed with chemicals then there's a build-up and and this is what happens that people find that their tummies become more sensitive and digesting things is harder and and it goes from there so i i definitely don't think there were as many food intolerances about you know 20 years ago um i think it has increased yeah
0: it's very interesting i did a gluten-free challenge over the summer um, for my blog and I had always just assumed that gluten-free eating and, and wheat-free eating would be very difficult and I didn't appreciate how much I personally ate it because yeah. you know you'd have toast with your scrambled eggs at, at breakfast time and sandwich yeah. for lunch and yeah invariably it would be pasta for dinner but also because I'm vegetarian a lot of vegetarian Food meat substitutes makes, right? have yeah. got a lot of gluten in them yeah uh, it's really quite quite terrifying so it yep. really opened my eyes as to how much i was actually eating and so i i just did it for the for a week but it was amazing how different i felt at the end i just felt lighter
1: and cleaner like like everything was working a bit better yeah. i think that's quite common i think people do feel that and it, it, that doesn't necessarily represent you know having a food intolerance it's just more that it shows you that if you eat the same things again and again, you know, your body finds ends up finding it difficult to break it down. And that's why when you do miss it out for a week or so, you do feel noticeably better. It's really interesting.
0: And I just couldn't get over how easy it was to do as well. It was just all about being aware and yeah. reading the labels and just being well prepared as well. I was yeah. Just making sure you had things in the pantry or in the fridge that you could have um, and even eating out wasn't that much of a drama because no. you just had to sort of research at first and find out whether the local place would would co- cater eat, for you, you. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah exactly uh, you're right and definitely now I mean I think now it's, it's amazing in comparison to how it was 10 years ago in terms of choice and people helping you out to eat that way it, it's massive you couldn't do it for love nor money 10 years ago really so it's great and i think that again is a reflection of how many people are suffering from food intolerances or celiac disease or a food allergy
0: Mm, definitely and i mean i realize that i'm in in a very privileged position of being able to make the choice to to cut down or to try gluten-free eating for a week or a month or, or whatever um i appreciate that if it was a A medically necessary thing you you know it's 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 nice to have that choice and to notice how how good you feel uh, and to give the body a
1: break as well absolutely and then also it's good for you to be aware of it because then if you have close friends or family who end up having to eat that way you understand it you know and you understand their options and all the things they can eat it's more that it's showing people all the things they can eat rather than the things they can't
0: Well, I'm actually having a um, gluten-free friend round for lunch on Sunday, so there'll be some intolerant gourmet dishes Ah. on the menu, so I've been making my shopping list this afternoon. (laughs) Uh, So so what other work do you do as a writer and a, a food intolerance specialist, as it were?
1: So I do a very, kind of a varied array of things so I do some freelance work for magazines so I do a bit of writing for Sainsbury's magazine and delicious and various other things and um, I also supply recipes to different websites or um, other blogs and then I demo so I teach as well so I go to various cookery schools and teach an allergy free class and I do some demos and it's all sort of little bits and pieces and I'm also writing the second book so that's quite a lot of my time taken up doing that at the moment. Well that leads on
0: very nicely to my next question because I was going <laughs> to ask you about your writing process so I uh, because everyone else I've had on the show has been a, a fiction writer or, right. or a poet so I'm very curious to hear what the writing process is like for for a food writer so what what's a typical day for you?
1: day I tend to divide my days if they're focused on the book then I divide them between writing days and cooking days I try not to merge them too much because you get distracted by one and and don't get the other bit done and that sort of thing so a writing day often is a combination of results from recipe testing the day before say and that involves writing up recipes you tend to test them about Well it can be anything really from people all food writers differ I think in how often they test their recipes and it can be three it could be ten it depends you know how complicated or complex the recipe is but once you've got it down it's simply a case of writing it up and then writing it in a way that you know is easily understood and, and flows really well because what you have to remember is what's might be a an unthinking or natural step for you isn't for everybody else you know so you have to explain it in a way that is really accessible to everybody so then it could be that I'm pulling the recipes together I'm trying to see how they flow you want your book to kind of really have a natural flow to it so not just broken down by chapters like seasons in the past one or my second book is going to be broken down by ways of eating so um, lunch or alfresco or fireside suppers, that kind of thing. But you need to see a flow in the food so that you're capturing lots of different flavors and lots of different styles and kind of pulling it together. So it, it's simply a case of writing those up and working and, and working out where they're going to go. And then there's writing for the blog as well, so that's the same. But I, it's kind of very organic. I think I'm kind of arming and ahhing because it's really I kind of just sit and write and see what comes and pull it all together I don't know if that's dissimilar or similar to fiction writing in that you have a kind of plan for your book you know how you want the beginning and the middle and the end goes it's just a case of sitting down and kind of pulling it together and and that's all I really do with writing the cookbook and then the the actual practicing of the recipes is function really with nice food at the end (laughs) Do you get to eat it all
0: yourself or do you go and share
1: it with the neighbours or with the no, family? seriously, you'd be in so much trouble if you <laughs> all the food you cook. It can get a bit overwhelming, actually. And also the amount of money you spend on food to recipe test is shocking. <laughs> but, I can imagine. Yeah, I'm really lucky. I live in a really old house that has six sort of apartments in it. And so I have lots of neighbours who get food pretty much every day from me <laughs> so I tend to knock on their doors and they're unofficial recipe testers and, and they know now to be very honest with me <laughs> about what I'm offering them and and that way I get a response to the food I get to see how it goes um, and I also stop myself from eating it <laughs> or it going to waste which is really which is the farthest. worst yeah mm. it's really upsetting actually if you see so much food going to waste mm.
0: So the writing of the recipes themselves, I'm curious, does it start by you just sort of throwing something together for your own dinner one night and then you think, oh, this works and you sort of note stuff down and then you go and
1: try and make it again or how does a recipe come about? I'm a bit more disciplined than that. I know some people do write like that, but I tend to start with an idea. I will I think I literally think about recipes morning morning and night, you know, morning till night. I I wake up thinking about things to cook. I must dream about it otherwise I um wouldn't wake up with them so present in my mind. <laughs> um but I just I know exactly what I want to cook and sometimes it's a case of I'll imagine it I'll know how I want it to taste and I'll write it down and I'll work from there so I might add a bit few bits take a few bits away but the general process is is already done but then in other situations there are dishes that I want desperately want to recreate so classic dishes that aren't naturally free from that takes a probably a bit more Bit more forethought. You, it's a little bit of a science in terms of replicating eggs or dairy or wheat baking, especially. You kind of have to really understand how the ingredients work together so that you can recreate textures. It's rather than flavors. It's more about textures um, and rise and you know that kind of thing. Density, crumb. All of those are affected by not containing gluten or dairy or eggs, especially yeast as well. So in those situations it's a bit more scientific really you know like a sponge cake or or a bake the the bakewell tart you know in order to recreate that you have to work out how it's going to how it's going to taste and how it's going to feel and then it's a case of practicing which is le- slightly less organic than just going wow you know what would work really well together and then taking it from there
0: now it's just uh, amazing how you know we just pick up I, I say we, um, people who don't write cookbooks just pick them up and leaf through and think, oh, wow, I wonder how they came up with that kind of thing. <laughs> but, yes, it's uh, it's interesting to hear the, the the hard work and the thought that, that goes <laughs> into everyone and yeah. then, of course, the testing. Yeah, but, I know,
1: but I'm not, you know... A- I'm uh, not complaining for one second. It, I know that people do think, oh, well, that, how, where's the difficulty in that, <laughs> writing a recipe? But it's like all things, it's more complicated than you think. Um, and like all creative things, there's a lot of kind of, there's a lot of hard work behind what looks pretty simple,
0: you know? I was just about to say, I mean, I know now from my own experience of writing a novel that Something that might take me just a day to read um, if i yeah you know, love it that much and can't put it down if it it might only take me yeah an afternoon or a day to read it, but it's probably taken the person who wrote it two years, yeah
1: uh, <laughs> exactly, but you know that's the beautiful thing about creativity and people you know and and that kind of thing is that because it seems so natural and there you just assume it's easy and it because they've made it look easy you know if you read a great novel you're just a great novel is just full of it's telling you something that you already knew but you didn't you hadn't said it out loud Mm. does that make sense like that kind of feeling where you it's so familiar to you and you're like of course that works or of course that's true or of course I feel that and and the person behind it has you know, as you said, spent years honing that one sentence mm. or whatever. But that that's what's so great about it, isn't it? That it, it feels easy and natural. Well, I read somewhere that the
0: definition of grace is making a difficult thing look easy. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And very true, I think.
0: So what are your favourite books, cooking or, or otherwise?
1: Wow. Um... Okay, well, cooking wise, I'm currently slightly obsessed by uh, a writer called Maria Elia, who did a book called Full of Flavour. She's a chef and she's just fantastic. It's just that, again, is what we were just discussing. You look at those, you look at her recipes and read them, and they're so simple, but they're perfect. And you're just like, wow, of course that works. Of course that goes together, but it tastes just incredible the depth of flavor so as you can tell as you can hear I'm quite excited by her and um another food writer called Alice Hart she's relatively new and I love I love her tone and her style and her cookery and um of course Ottolenghi I know he's um the current favorite for most people but I'm continuously astonished at how beautiful his food is and he is a brilliant humble writer and so I I love him in terms of uh, fiction, I'm quite varied. I'm I'm a massive library goer, actually. I tend to do this thing where I'll go and get, you know, 10 books, <laughs> uh, cooking and novels, and read them all. And then if I love it, I buy it. That's kind of my way of testing the water. But there are some writers that I go back to time and time again. I love a Danish writer called Peter Hoag. I don't know if you've heard of him but um miss miller's feeling for snow sadly uh i love his books i love his tone and i love the feel of that and that it varies i have i definitely have phases truly actually i like everything from you know f scott fitzgerald to jilly cooper <laughs> i just love reading and um i'm a big fan of literature in in all its forms really did you read 50 shades of gray <laughs> Oh, do you know what? No. Am I allowed <laughs> to say that? I read a chapter of it because somebody was raving about it and I couldn't bring myself <laughs> I couldn't bring myself. So you
0: didn't get to the the saucy bits.
1: No, I did. <laughs> no, I opened it where the page fell open. So of course I did. <laughs> no, it was just it's dreadful. Can I say that? It's dreadful. I don't know if you that's how you felt about it.
0: I thought it was okay i read it because i'd, I'd bought it and i thought well i, I want to see what all the fuss is about so
1: yeah i get it because actually i'm i just found it really misogynist that's what i thought i was mm. like god really i it's not the sex that bothers me bring it on you know <laughs> to read that, but um i was just really disappointed in the tone of um I can't remember the protagonist now. I can't remember her name, but there was a lot of eye rolling in the bit I read, and um, that annoyed me more than anything. Just her, her kind of slightly weak demeanor.
0: <laughs> I think as a piece of fantasy, it kind of worked. Um, if, if you, if it was something that you just didn't take seriously at all. Yeah,
1: or, I it... suppose so. But then you see, I feel like that about. That's I call Jilly Cooper Valium for the soul because it's just just nonsense on a lot of levels but there's all that there's all it contains all of that you know sex and romping and horses <laughs> but <laughs> but it's but, intelligent isn't yeah, it yeah but it does have some modicum of intelligence and also it's not the females aren't feeble and that and so that, passive mm. yes that annoys me but <laughs> that's just me
0: well that's very very interesting because i i as i say i sort of felt the same way I mean, all power to her for yeah. tapping into the market yeah. and, you know, giving people what they wanted. Who who knew that was what they wanted? I know. Uh, so back to you.
1: Mm.
0: Will we be seeing The Intolerant Gourmet, the
1: television show? Do you know, I don't know. <laughs> never say never. It would be really interesting if it went that way. That's not necessarily, doesn't rank very highly on my list of things I'd like to achieve, I'm definitely much more about, I'm definitely more comfortable writing, but the more people that know about it, the better really, you know, so the more publicity and the the broader the audience, the better, so I wouldn't rule it out. (laughs) So if the opportunity came along, you'd consider it? Maybe, we've had some interest, but I don't, it hasn't felt right at this stage, so we'll (laughs)
0: And so book two is currently in the works. Can you Are you able to tell us a little bit about it?
1: Yeah, it's going to be. It's very much the same feel as the first book. So the food, again, is all about flavour and colour and balance. And um, it's broken up slightly differently, I think, as I mentioned before. It, it's done in ways of eating. So there's lots of there's fireside suppers and there's sort of high tea. So... Almost like nursery food for children, that kind of thing, classic little dishes. And then there's kind of picnic food and breakfasts. I've tried to kind of cover each, you know, every aspect of your day to day eating so that there's always something. I've had a lot of interest from people saying I'd really, you know, i'd like to go on a picnic and take this but i can't do you have any suggestions or it's my daughter's birthday party do you have any suggestions so i've tried to kind of really cover that but it's very much the same it'll be photo led it'll be a nice big book very colorful very beautiful i hope and it will be out not for quite some time it's going to be out in march 2014 so a little you know over well over a year away um so next year we'll all be about production and and um, getting it honed so it's good Mm, sounds very exciting
0: yeah well Pippa thank you very much for joining me today on bookends I've I've really enjoyed having you on the program I think everyone's going to really enjoy hearing what you've got to say and illuminating us all about the process of writing and publishing a cookbook just before we go what would be your advice to people who would like to write a cookbook of their own Is there anything you wish you'd known before
1: you started? Do you know the best bit of advice I can give you is to just get yourself organised. Little scraps and notes isn't particularly helpful for cookbook writing. I promise that you'll forget what you did two days later. So always write everything down in full and cook and write about the kind of food that you love. Don't worry about what everyone else is cooking or or trends or, or or that sort of thing just write about what you love people will hear that and hopefully they'll love the same kind of food that you do and it will go from there otherwise the only other bit I think is give yourself some kind of discipline about writing the recipes set days you know set times and say with a blog you know a set amount of writing and testing and um, I always think I'm a big believer in kind of lists and organisation. I think it really helps and um, it le- it frees you up to be creative. So that would be my biggest tip.
0: Excellent advice, Pippa Kendrick, author of the Intolerant Gourmet. Thank you very much for being on the programme.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: And that was Pippa Kendrick, author of the wonderful cookbook, The Intolerant Gourmet. And if you haven't already got yourself a copy, I thoroughly recommend doing so. All the details of Pippa's work is on the Bookends website, bookendspodcast.wordpress.com, and also all the other books and authors we mentioned. You can also check out theintolerantgourmet.com, which has a delicious recipe from Pippa every week. I hope you enjoyed listening to Pippa's words of wisdom. I certainly enjoyed speaking to her. I hope you'll join me for the next Bookends episode soon. Thank you for listening. Happy writing and happy reading. Bye for now.